0: Sound design, movies is like, uh, for me, cinema is not about dialogue, it's about choreography, dance between sound and images, and sound design of the first movie is very striking. It was something that aesthetically was quite unique. And as much I, I took several visual liberties from the first movie, I felt that we should be quite close to the spirit of the sound design of the first movie. So we worked very hard to uh, bring that kind of uh, impressionistic artificial quality to the atmospheres. Technically feel like there's always some kind of sounds that we never heard before that are coming from technology that we don't know.
1: I loved the first film, and I felt a responsibility to do it justice. The first film had such an oral signature with music and sound effects in content as well as in design. And I struggled with how to honor that and yet be original at the same time. And I think that was always our big challenge. I feel quite strongly that we managed to create a new Sonic universe for Blade Runner that certainly will feel familiar, but at it Tamberly it's very different.
2: My memory of the original was that you're in a world where you're constantly being bombarded by announcements, advertisements, and they help fill in the background of the world, the parts of the world that you don't see. In the original, you don't see what it's like off-world, but you're constantly hearing a voice telling you you need to move to the off-world colonies. A new life
1: awaits you in the the off-world colonies.
0: colonies. The The chance chance to begin begin again again in a golden land land of of opportunity opportunity and adventure.
2: So we decided to pay our regards to the original movie and also fill us in a little bit about what's happening in this universe. Also, the multilingual aspect of Blade Runner, which is a really important thing in the first one, you get the feeling that the Los Angeles in 2019 was populated by every race under the sun, and people are are speaking in different languages, and we wanted to go even further with that. In this one, you see a lot of Korean advertisements, Japanese advertisements, like you do in the original. We hear a lot of Korean, Hindi, Japanese, and we're being bombarded by languages all the time. In the Blade Runner world, it's dystopian, so it can get gloomy, but Denis, somebody who sees beauty in a lot of different things, he loves sound, he loves the beauty of sound, and it's a testament to his love of sound and what he did with his track that Joe Walker, the picture editor, oftentimes at this point will close his eyes and just listen to the sound of the film. When I started thinking about sound with Denny, we talked about those atmospheres as being a kind of vital element. It sort of tied in with an aesthetic that we already had in place and the previous two films that we worked on. With Sicario and Arrival, we try to reduce music to only when we really need it, and at other times to try and rely on sound effects and silence and dialogue to kind of be the music of the film and really to use the composer to bring in the cavalry only for the moments when you need it. And so that kind of fitted into the idea that we could probably try and generate at least a first assembly that was made up of musical sound effects rather than music itself, and to work a little harder on the cut before we you know, presented it to a composer.
1: I think what I appreciate most about the first film is that it created moods using sound effects and music, and sometimes you didn't really know which was which. Having had the opportunity to investigate the sound effects stems and the music stems, I discovered really interesting things about things that Vangelis had made that you thought were environmental textures that the sound designer had made, and vice versa. So there was that really beautiful cross-pollination that I thought we could achieve really effectively. I began making very brooding musical textures that would underpin almost every scene. So if you listen in any given scene, even if it's a talkie in a room, there are these languid kind of pads and tones that are reminiscent of things that Vangelis had done in the first film that you didn't know were his score. And they weren't really score, they were his kind of sonic noodlings. So for lack of a better term, and I don't want this to stick, I created these sonic noodlings that were made from musical textures, things like wind chimes, guitars, winds, saxophones. But you won't know them as those sounds when you hear the film, but you'll get the sense that there's a brooding tone that creates an atmosphere, a, a mood. And, and you don't know what it is, but it, it, it just fills the scene with a kind of feeling.
2: I think he has a specific ear for natural organic sounds. I think I quickly learned that Denis, when he hears beepy synthesizer sounds, when someone's using a computer and it kind of goes beep, 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 beep. No, there's, that's not gonna pass the Denis filter. You know, he doesn't like cliches, tropes, and electronic beeps and, and synthesizer sounds in the soundtrack, although he may love synthesizers in the music, he has a very clear preference for organic, natural sounds. And I think you can see that in the way that he's scoped the film out for atmospheric scenes that contain sounds of nature.
0: He doesn't usually direct too much specifically when it comes to what he's looking for. It's always emotionally what he's looking for. He has a very clear path of what he, the story he wants to tell, how he wants to tell it emotionally, how it needs to feel, and how he wants to walk away feeling. We took a bit of a journey to sort of just explore and discover, but did end up with something, I think, wholly original and unique. I think the composers Ben and Hans did a phenomenal job finding that and finding some great sounds. We um, inspire ourselves from the soundtrack of the first movie, composed by Evangelis. We use the same instruments. Not trying to very old uh, synthesizer called CS80 that has a, is a beast. It's really a, a very specific instrument that is, uh, what is interesting is that it's half analog have electronic and it's like really difficult to play with that synthesizer and it creates those insane and powerful sounds that you can hear in the movie. As much as I wanted to be free from uh, the first movie, there were some elements that I insisted that would be very familiar with the first one, sound and music. There you something are. like that. <laughs> the magic of this beast is. Mm. after that. You know, as I press harder, things start happening, and then you can do, I mean, and you can go from until it becomes completely just hell. Yeah. And know. that's what he's just done there. You notice how the sound just evolved into something. Oh, yeah. Mysterious this is all over the score like the way these the the evolving sound there because if you record that and slow it down and pitch it it's the most strange weird evocative like emotionally evocative sound
1: while everything was uniquely approached we recorded a massive library of raw materials for the film we designed an amazing library we i think it's the biggest sound design challenge I've had on a film. The library for Blade Runner is comprised of about 25 or 2600 unique elements that were created for the film. We did a significant amount of underwater recording with uh, voice underwater. I I didn't want to fake that with EQ or a design thing. we brought in people to do things underwater. We did a great deal of vehicle recording to come up with raw elements for the spinners. We did rain recording. We did all these sort of musical object recordings, drones, and electric tools. Our film, like the first film, takes place. There's a lot of rain, it's part of the oppressive. Look and feel that Denis and Roger Deakins established. And I got to thinking about rain and I wanted to create a new library of recordings, but of course you can't just expect rain. We got really lucky in that LA was subjected to a sort of a once in a millennia kind of deluge from January through March, so I was particularly fortunate to be able to go out and capture new rain recordings. I realized I wanted to be in the middle of rain. So that I could capture in an immersive recording of seven channels seven channels of microphones. So I built a custom rig that would protect the microphones in about a one meter square of absorptive material and separation materials. so you wouldn't hear the splatter on top of the microphone. so I captured an extraordinary array of heavy deluges and little trickles and drips and things like that in seven channel discrete. Um, either with a Holophone, I have the Holophone H1, and I ended up building a rig of my own with uh, Shep's um, CCM microphones to capture that. We didn't care for the sound of the blasters from the first film and that was in fact my first sound design challenge from Denis was rethink the blaster. So I recorded a Barrett 50 cal, which is this gigantic sniper rifle, and it has a round about that big and that fat, and it's, it's got quite a kick and quite an explosion. <laughs> and then that went through a component from Theo Green, a, a really sort of untoward sweetener that gives it its kind of uniqueness.
2: The sort of 909 bass drum hit that you'd hear in an EDM track, heavily processed, so it's got this big boom.
1: And so it was blending really only two components, in a clever way to come up with this uh, signature of the blaster and, and Denise, it's really fun in the movie. I think you'll you'll dig the sound of it. There's really only one vehicle, and we have the spinner as Deckard and Gaff both flew in the first film. Kay flies a spinner in this, so it was reimagining the spinner in one way in that it's 30 years hence, so they've been slightly modernized, and yet because we're post-blackout, they are still flying craft that were probably cobbled together from parts from pre-blackout. And so we wanted it to always sound like it was not quite in good repair. So whenever Kay is flying it, you're in this sort of not quite fully safe vehicle that you don't feel too comfortable to be in. One of the ways was, putting a subwoofer inside of my wife's Honda Element and varying degrees of resonance with low frequency sound to get the interior of that car to vibrate. And we threw in lots of things, metal objects and plastic objects that would vibrate and rattle, and then recorded that in seven channel so that whenever we're inside the spinner, you're inside of this kind of rattling, vibrating thing.
0: Denis has a very bold approach to things, which I love. He's not afraid to like take everything out or hit you with everything. You know, it's very dynamic. It's one of the most dynamic tracks that Doug and I have ever mixed, uh, which is, I love. I mean, it's fantastic to be able to go there. It's like, he's not afraid. And sometimes it came down to like one or two things and that's, that's all we needed and it was perfect. Whenever you got the phrase, "I deeply love this," you know you're in the pocket. I love that when he says it. And Denis
2: is one of those guys who sees detail of emotion and feeling and story narrative to a degree that is so beautiful and so detailed, it's, it's astonishing. He just has this vision. And thematically, you know, the, the film is, is near and dear to my heart because it's about what does it mean to be a human being? What is an authentic human being? what is the human heart and what makes us human. And those themes are are incredibly powerful and in the hands of somebody like Denis, they're just, they'll just knock you off your feet.